0: Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. As many of you already know, I'm a licensed mental health therapist and I work in Florida in the United States. In my private practice, I work primarily with children and families with basic challenges in behavior, stress, anxiety, parenting. But I've also done a fair amount of work with teen parents and their babies in the school system and also with women and girls in other situations around gender-based violence. I've worked with several different organizations over the decades with some friends as well and in the U.S. and overseas. Gender violence has become a major issue in society, or maybe it's always been there and it's just that we're recognizing it now, and I wanted to explore this further. So today's guest has pioneered work in the area of gender violence. Indrani Gorodja is a philanthropist and advocate for women's health and empowerment. She's the founder and visionary behind Indrani's Light Foundation, a nonprofit foundation dedicated to providing solutions to gender-based violence. She's an acclaimed speaker, author, trainer, coach, and activist. And Indrani herself is a survivor of domestic violence as a child and young adult. She's a tireless and fearless leader of this mission. So welcome, Indrani. So pleased to have you here.
2: I am so happy to be here. I am thrilled that you are willing to talk about this to the world.
1: Well, it is it is near and dear to my heart as I mentioned to you a little bit a little while ago and I just feel that um we hear more about it in the news. I mean just just today I heard a new story about an 8-year-old girl in in India which just made my heart break. So um I, I want to talk about it. I want to know, I want to explain to our listeners what it is, what we can do, um, all sorts of things. But let's start with a basic definition. Can we start with what is gender violence?
2: I have a very broad and generous definition of abuse. And I don't use the word violence because when people hear violence, they think Physical. When I say abuse, it's mental, it's emotional, it's financial if someone who's you know bringing in the money won't give you money to run the house, and it's definitely also physical. So my generous definition is abuse is anything that makes you feel less than ah. 100% of who you know yourself to be. Of course, as a child, we don't know who we are. And so we don't know what abuse is. And my abuse started as a child, and I thought I deserved what I was getting. So it's only when we become adult that we can start looking at relationships and wondering a simple question, does this make me feel less than I know I am or more than I know I am to be? I
1: love that definition because you're so right. Um, We typically, especially in the U.S., use the word violence, but um, any trainings I've ever done talk about the emotional abuse actually being far worse than the physical. And by the time, especially in relationship um, issues, the physical abuse typically comes years later. The emotional abuse is where it starts. Is that what you've what you would say as well.
2: Yes, and unfortunately, there's hardly a typical, but when there is physical violence first, the victim can sort of go back into their memory banks and pick out moments when, and I'm going to say she, because out of every 100 cases, 97 are against the woman. Okay. I think you might get some feedback on what about men? Yes, men are abused. Yes, it's a problem. Yes, we need to look at that too. But my focus is on women. When, when the victim looks back in her past, she sees little things, uh, things like, don't wear that. You look like a slut. Why, why weren't you home within five minutes? Your work is only 10 minutes away. She And it doesn't feel like abuse at the moment, because if someone says, don't wear that, they could really be saying, you don't look so good in that. You know, you should change it. Right. But when you start adding it up, those little pieces that sounded so innocent and, oh, doesn't he love me so much? Right. Then it's like, oh, all of a sudden you're slapped. And it's the words that come out were, I told you not to wear that. I told you to come home on time. I, right? I told you, I told you, I told you. You didn't listen. Therefore, you deserve this. So it's a, it's an eating away
1: at the person.
2: Yes. Um, it's like a slow drip of... Um, it's it's not as slow as water on a rock that makes a cave. Okay. I think of it as a slow diluted acid. Okay. You know, if the acid is too strong, it'll fall apart. But if it's a slow drip, you don't know that there are holes forming in your self esteem, in your heart, in your in your soul. If people, right. believe you don't know.
1: Exactly. So um it 's interesting because often I will work with women who have been abused emotionally, and their comments to me are one they didn 't know that this w- whatever the statement they were making would constitute as abuse um, and also if you tell somebody else your story, what you know how come this person said made this comment to me the average outsider will say to you, oh, they didn't mean anything by it or, oh, it's because each individual comment is so small. Yes. So when does it tip? When does it tip into abuse? I
2: I think it tips when, when a woman wakes up and starts questioning the littlest moves that she needs to make, Um, what what will i wear today so that he won't be angry what will i cook today so that he won't throw the food against the wall if you already know that that person is going to throw food against the wall right it it's it's a it's a tipping that's more like a tumbling uh-huh and it's you know how the the lever works You know, who is it that says, give me a long enough lever and I can move the world? Yeah. (laughs) So the levers are very long. The fulcrum doesn't really move. The person slowly, the abuser slowly starts walking up that lever, reaches the fulcrum, fulcrum, the lever drops, and they keep walking and pounding. And then pretty soon you're on the ground looking up and thinking. What shouldn't I wear? What shouldn't I cook? What shouldn't I say? When he comes home, the kids have to be so quiet. Oh my gosh, the kids are laughing now. Kids, hurry, hurry. Uh, He's coming home in five minutes. Stop. Just go to your room. Right? Right. You're on the bottom thinking you cannot get any lower. There's always a lower. Right. And also, what about
1: the milder situation? I'm going to say that you said there is no standard or no normal, I believe. Or um, Because I was going to say, what about the, the person who is an abuser or who is abusive, but doesn't throw the food, but will instead make the cutting comments, will instead um, eat but have a long face at the table, or will be sarcastic about mm-hmm. the clothing or the children or the house? So each person's situation is unique, as I was saying. So what happens if the abuser isn't um, throwing the food because they're not pleased with it or they're not, um, you know, shouting or hitting, but they're just being sarcastic or they're making a face or they're moderately irritated with the kids or whatever? Right. Right. What about those situations?
2: That that is harder to identify but it is easy to feel. So, I just met a few people this weekend, young women who said, when I hear his footsteps, I cringe. And I said, has he been physically violent? Oh no, he would never do that. But he'll pick everything apart. So one woman says, I load the dishwasher, he comes right behind me and reloads it and just gives me a look and a, hmm, and wow. I feel like crap. Or they'll even re-clean the whole house, not because they have time or because they want to, but because they want to show the woman how stupid she is. She cannot even clean her own house. Wow. So the feeling is when you feel smaller. Right. Right in the presence of someone who is supposed to love you. Right. That's the signal. When you're with people who love you, you know, those people also have great friends, right? They meet friends and they feel open and expansive and they laugh and they tell off color jokes. But When they come home, they put themselves back into a little tiny box and they're afraid to step out. You know, that's a sign, you know. When someone says, Oh, but she he doesn't hit you, you know what's going
1: on. Right. And that's really challenging because so many women that I come across don't want to stand up and say, Yes, I've been abused. They don't want to speak out about it because they might live in a small town. They might have a small community that they're engaged with and nobody will believe them because they are often very, uh, very well-educated, very wealthy. And there, w- there is this myth that it, to be abused, you must be poor or you must be um, not educated or having other troubles.
2: Yes. And unfortunately, in my work, I have found that the woman most likely to stay, least likely to leave, mm-hmm. is, the, is the rich woman whether or not she has education with a very, very successful man. Right. Because he will say, you will be poor. No one will be your friend. Look, you think you're going to live in a big house like this? You think you're going to have all those nice dresses in your closet? So some of the people that I've worked with, when their husbands do something awful, they get a new piece of jewelry. Right. They get a cruise. They... They get to go on a shopping trip, and all that is meant to appease them because the, the abuser doesn't care. They have money to waste. Right. And the woman who is accepting the gifts, she will have some relief for another two and a half minutes until the sadness comes in again.
1: Right. So these are, And these are cycles. These are cycles of abuse that we typically see, right?
2: And I know that you know about the cycle, right? The honeymoon? Yeah. Right. The event, the abuse, the honeymoon, the event, the abuse. And the event and the abuse, beco- the, be, that time frame becomes longer and longer. And the space between the abuse and the honeymoon becomes shorter and shorter, So there's almost no honeymoon ever. There's no apology anymore. There's no, you know, there's no, um, oh my gosh, I know I shouldn't do that. It's just, you're an idiot. I told you this a hundred times. You're not getting it. It's your fault. Let's talk a little bit about the
1: abuser. Um, Do they typically know they're doing this?
2: I don't think so. I think abusers, if we look at their history, they have been victims. And we know that one of the statistics, statistics out there, sorry, that one in five men have been sexually abused, but as children, they don't say anything about it. So there's a lot of anger. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a scary statistic. Yeah, and it's one in three women who will be abused in her lifetime. But imagine the little boy who is being abused and nobody's listening. Right. That person is growing up to to have a lot of anger.
1: Yeah, that makes it hard. So what about, um, what about help for the abuser? Do you think by the time they get to this phase that the, one can even help them?
2: I, I believe that every single human being can be helped. And okay. if they cannot be helped, they need to be put away. I do not think abusers even try to get help. And I know a lot of women say, let's go to marriage counseling, let's go to therapy. And the standard line is, it's your problem, not mine.
1: Right. I also know situations where the husband has actually agreed to go to counseling. And then when they get to counseling, the husband then turns around and says, well, I came, you asked me to, I'm here, but it's your problem. And so similar outcome that they're not willing to, maybe they don't recognize it or maybe they're not willing to accept it, uh, their role in this abusive relationship.
2: In in your work, you know that change is really hard and personal change is even harder. For me to look in the mirror and say, Indrani, you have done a bad thing and you need to apologize. That's a hard thing. Isn't it easier for me to look at someone else and say, it is because of you that I did that. It's because of you that I used those words. It's because of you that I cursed at you. It's not me. I'm not that.
1: Of course. Exactly. So I want to continue this conversation, but we're going to go to a short commercial break. So please stay tuned. We're talking to Indrani Goradia about her work with gender-based Violence, if we can say that. If you have questions, you can email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com and we will be right back.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis, hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for hypnosis everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions hypnosis everywhere the simpson protocol airs live every wednesday at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on voice america health and wellness do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into one 866 472 5792 That's one 866 472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv 4 kids at Yahoo.com. That's doctor V, the number four kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives.
1: Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm here with Indrani Gordia, founder of Indrani's Light Foundation, and advocate for gender-based violence. Now, I keep saying violence, so I'm really sorry about that. It's um, okay, but it's more abuse than violence. Okay. So, yeah. by the end of this hour, <laughs> we will have—I will have converted to saying abuse instead of violence. <laughs> um, the work you do is incredibly powerful and I know that it, there has to be a history of why you came to this work so I'm really interested to know if you're willing to share your story and explain how what happened to you and what brought you to this
2: place thank you so much for asking that I do believe that my story and The repercussions of my story are the only reasons why I have created the life and the work that I do. I didn't know it at the time, but I grew up in a very abusive household. Wow. It was very normal. Everybody on my street was getting the same amount of beatings that I was getting.
1: Physical beatings.
2: Physical beatings. And... The screaming and the yelling and the name calling and the cursing, all of us got it. So we would just, um, you know, we'd cry. We we put some salve on our bruises, our welts. My skin was was bruised numerous times, broken even. And we would go on. I mean, what wow. are you going to do? It, it was the way it is.
1: How old were you when this? I you remember.
2: Based on my journey through therapy, uh-huh. it probably started as an infant. Oh, my and
1: I'll goodness. And i tell you
2: why. Because when I had my first child when I was 30, and that baby was only six weeks old, and that baby was crying, my instinct was to slap the baby. That's wow. what I wanted to do. Part of my brain said, slap the baby. And the other part of my brain said, but you just said you love the baby. So what's going on? Right. I was very lucky that it wasn't the whole brain that was offline. There was something that was still working. And when people ask, a lot of therapists have asked, because I've, I've spoken to therapists, how did you know to stop? A lot of people don't know to stop. Right. The only answer I can give is, I think love was stronger than hurt in that moment. Yeah. Love was stronger than hate. I wanted to comfort my child more than I wanted to hurt my child.
1: And your husband, what was his role? My
2: husband was not abused, but if he was abused and if he heard me being, you know, crazy, he would have said, slap the kid. And that would have been it. Right. I would have been on a different trajectory. I went to him at two o'clock in the morning. I had just had a C-section and they cut me the long way, not the smiley face way. Okay. It was painful. And I said, something's wrong. I want to hurt our baby. And he said, get help. And in his sleepy voice, he said, get help. I don't think he really understood what he was saying. Right. But he didn't say slap the baby. Right. Well, something inside him obviously knew. Something inside him knew that maybe he thought, oh, she's just tired or maybe she doesn't mean it. I meant it. And then I said something else. He says he doesn't remember this part, but I remember it clearly. I said, if I ever hurt our baby, will you take him away from me? Because I wanted my father to take me away.
1: So it was your mother who abused you then? Yes. Interesting, because we typically, and in the first segment, we talked about mostly male-female mm-hmm. abuse, but here it's mother to daughter.
2: Yes, mother to all the children.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: So I used to dream that my dad would scoop me up and take me away and, and we would live happily ever after. That never happened. So here I was making my husband promise to save his child from me if I ever became a monster. Well, good for you for doing that. Yeah, and you know what? He would have done it. My husband is from India, and he would have taken that baby to India, and I would never have found my son. And I knew that, and that scared me. And I started getting help at that very moment. I have to tell you, it was very hard. It was still hard. And the reason I started my my foundation was because I thought, okay, Andrani, you had a supportive husband, you had finances, you could go to therapy, you could go to a spa day, you had a housekeeper, and it was still so hard. So what are women doing who have No help. Right. And I thought, if I could help one mom to stop the violence, to stop the abuse, I could help that kid to grow up and be all that they can be. I was just really focused on the kid because I used to wish that somebody would come and save me.
1: Right. Well, and you've said something very important that I want to pick up on, which is this um, this inclination you had in that moment when your baby was crying because of possibly of how you were treated at a very young age that you may not even remember. And we see that cycle over and over. Um, I found it with the teen parents and their babies, the teen mothers who have babies, if they don't have the therapeutic assistance and support, those babies will grow up to also be teen parents. It's very likely the statistics are very high for that. Um, And we all tend to respond to how we're treated. Those first three years, five years of life are critical. Uh, And that's
2: what my therapist told me. I had no idea because I was still saying, no, 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 no. I wouldn't I have remembered? And he said, it's a muscle memory that you have. You don't know what was happening when you were in the crib. You don't know what was happening when you were pre-verbal. You don't know. Right. And the fact that I wanted to do that was very strong evidence that it probably happened to me.
1: And in your relationship with your mother now?
2: I take excellent care of my mother. Uh I am her sole financial support. And I don't get to be nasty. That is not a choice that I am willing to make. I will always be the person who will do the right thing. And I have very strong emotional boundaries. Meaning (laughs) that if something is said to me that is even vaguely reminiscent of, of, you know, things in the past, I can laugh it off. I just laugh and say, Oh my God, you're still saying that. And I just Uh walk out of the room because that has nothing to do with me anymore.
1: Right. And when did, when were you able to finally make that shift that break?
2: So I had my first child at 30. He was six weeks when I got this realization I think I stopped yelling when he was about 10. So I was still yelling. And by the way, everybody, mm-hmm. yelling and screaming and name-calling and sarcasm, that is, those are horrible forms of abuse. I stopped doing that. I was learning. I was cobbling together my, right. my therapy. And so my second child was born when he was five. So she had basically an abusive, free, uh, you know, growth. Right. He, he says he doesn't remember, and sometimes I wonder if he's just saying that to make me feel good. Let me tell you, I'm always apologizing. If I think, if I have a memory of, oh, mm, I think I may have done that, I will say, I think I may have done this when you were 7 or 8 or 9 or 12 and I'm really sorry I didn't know any better. I have no trouble apologizing. And he says, "Mom, come on, it's okay. I don't remember." But I remember, and that right. that, that that is very painful still.
1: Well, I think it always is. I think when we hurt another and we know we're hurting another, it that is that is always painful. So, I think it's great that you can apologize. Um so did you leave? So you, were, you grew up in Trinidad. Did you leave there? Is that when the abuse ended from your, your mother?
2: Uh, uh, no, my mother came to this country, and I, I joined her when I was 21. And the abuse didn't end then. Okay. So here I was, a grown-up, living with her, and there was tremendous um, emotional and verbal abuse still. And um, I have a memory of a time she tried to hit me, at, you know, in my 20s. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. But the verbal stuff never didn't stop.
1: Right. Wow. And you chose to stay. So this is another interesting point about people who have been abused.
2: I didn't know it to was stay. abuse. I thought I was a bad person. Even in my 20s, I'm living in New York and I'm going to college and I have a job. And if I didn't do something in the house and I was yelled at, I thought it was my fault. So
1: how did you start to learn that it wasn't your fault? Or was it only when you had children of your own?
2: Only when I had my own child and only after therapy and only after a lot of therapy.
1: And the therapy began after you had your child? Yes, At that
2: point, can after that night okay. that I wanted to slap my baby, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't find a good therapist for a long time. So I want to caution people that if you find a therapist and you don't think it's working, look for another one. Right. There was one therapist in particular that I remember. One time she said to me, um... Well, that wasn't a very reasonable thing to do. I I don't remember what it was. And I said, I don't understand what you mean. I don't know what reasonable is. I'd never been brought up with reasonable. I'd been brought up with screaming and yelling and hitting and name calling. That was normal. If that wasn't reasonable, then teach me what reasonable is. Mm -hmm. And I said, can you tell me what reasonable is? And she said, no, it's just something you have to know. What kind of stupid answer is that?
1: <laughs> well, I I always actually tell my clients when I first meet with them that my work is relationship-based, and it's crucial that the client and I are able to establish a, a trusting relationship, because otherwise I can't help them, and they're not going to benefit, and it's a waste of everyone's time. And not every, ther- not, um, every client will, you know, you won't match up with a therapist every single time. You will come to a therapist and discover they're not for you or you will grow out of that relationship with them and then you yeah. need to move on. So it is, a, that's a very important point for our listeners to know.
2: And I, I have to say, I didn't leave her because I, didn't, I thought she was right and I was wrong. It's something, why wouldn't I know what reason was? Right. I was never taught what reason was. I would like the listener to know reason is something that makes you feel good, makes you feel healthy. If someone is yelling and screaming at you, that is not reasonable on their part. And a reasonable thing for you to do is leave the room on your part. Right. Get yourself out of the toxic environment. Now, if the abuser is physical and you leave, it'll get worse. So I'm not saying to do that. You do have to find, make a plan. You have to make a plan that you can institute very, very slowly. And there are people, there are organizations out there that can help.
1: Well, and this is another point. So I think if there is physical abuse, I feel like it's much easier to go and say to somebody, look at these bruises, look at what has happened to me, can you help me? And I think we also, as individuals, feel we have more documentation on our bodies. So how to get the strength to for the
2: emotional, for abuse. The
1: emotional abuse? How do you do that?
2: Um, are you familiar with Brene Brown's work?
1: Yes, I am.
2: So Brene says, we all have trusted people in our lives. If you don't have a trusted person, that's one of the first things we have to do is work on creating a friendship of trust. We start telling one trusted person. And if possible, maybe we can write a few things down and give it to that person to keep in a safe place. Ah. Because when we have a year's worth of things that are written down, now we have a timeline that right. we can even begin to believe for our own selves
1: right now that's that's another great point is to write all these things down and i love Keep the it fact in a about a
2: safe place
1: and the safe place will be with a trusted person somewhere else not anywhere where you are not
2: a family member not a person who is in his family not in your own house somebody else, else. a trusted person.
1: So that really is sort of the first step is finding a trusted friend um, that you can share your story with. So on that note, we're going to head to another short commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about issues concerning abuse and what we can do to help.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses.
0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into... Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into one 866 472 5792 That's one 866 472 5792 You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at DrV4Kids at Yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives.
1: Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drvforkids at yahoo.com or by on my website at peaceofheartllc.com. If you have any questions or comments, I would really love to hear from you. I'm here with Indrani Gorodia, founder of Indrani's Light Foundation and an advocate for gender based abuse, not violence. <laughs> and um, Indrani, before we go on to talk about your foundation and how it started and what it's about, is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: Yes, while we were on break, I thought of something that I had told my son a few weeks ago, or maybe even a month. I said, honey, How is it that every single man knows women who have been abused, but no man knows an abuser? Why is that? So we know it's there. We know people who are doing it. And God forbid we should bring it up. And how did he respond? He said, Mama, I'm shocked. Yes, it it makes sense to me. I, I don't know. I don't know.
1: It's so true, though, because we do. We, we often talk about the abused, and we hear their stories, and we feel for them, and that's what gives rise often to the passion and the motivation to, to create um, organizations to help people.
2: And, but, and, and we use language very efficiently, right? So let's, let's take the sentence. John raped Mary. Right it turns into mary was raped john yes. is gone yes mary is a victim john is long gone the rape is gone right mary is a victim of gender violence where is john where is the rape it's only mary
1: interesting that that is an interesting way to look at it. You're so, you're so right. And then all of a sudden now we're down to this victim and we are just left with victims and,
2: and John is on to something else, right? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, so that said, how do you help? How do you help support? And your foundation is, is amazing and I hope you'll tell everybody the the website so that they can go and look at it too, but tell us about how you you started it. And Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it actually. So, um, it's wonderful. So I'll, I'll tell you
2: how I started. Uh, so I, you know, I'm, I'm emerging from depression and I figured out how to get my meds and how to be a non-depressed person. And I started thinking, this was around 50 I started thinking, what am I going to do in life that, that could help the world? How can, how can I help with my unique, pieces of information in my head so I thought well I'll become a coach so I did that and then coaching wasn't enough for my clients so I start, I did yoga teacher and I did yoga teacher training and I started coaching people and and moving their physical body around uh-huh. and you you know doing somatic stuff and that was working well and then I thought well I need more stuff I didn't want to go back and get a A PhD Uh, you know I just want different certificates so I did positive psychology um, with dr. Sahar and I started cobbling other work together I'm also a a daring way facilitator with Brene Brown so I do her workshops rising strong daring greatly but something was still missing I had private clients and my heart was not happy and one day there was a, there's a shelter in Houston, and it's called Daya. Uh-huh. And I asked them, could I come and, and do some coaching? And I went, and 12 people showed up, and I coached, I coached them for six months or six weeks. I don't even remember. It was right. every few weeks for a long time. And the first time I drove home after that first class, I was gripping the steering wheel, screaming, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I found where I wanted to be. These women were brave. They had run away from their abusers. They were trying to become great moms for their children. And I thought, that's the woman I want to work with. So then I came home and I was talking to my husband and he said, so you're going to get a degree in social work. I don't want (laughs) to do that. He said, well, no one's going to listen to you. And that's true because I also didn't have a degree in psychology. So I decided, well, the only way to get people to take me seriously is to do a foundation. Okay. So I created indranislight.org, I-N-D-R-A-N-I-S-L-I-G-H-T.org. And right now, instead of caring for the victim in the shelter, We go to different shelters across the country, and we do empowerment and leadership classes for the caregivers at the shelter. Oh, okay. And our theory of change is when we help the caregiver take care of herself, she will reduce her compassion fatigue and burnout, and she will better be able to take care of not only her clients at the shelter, but her family.
1: That's wonderful. I do a lot of work with burnout, and I see, even in therapists, therapists have a huge rate of burnout because we always, when we're caring for other people, and as parents as well,
2: we forget to care for ourselves. And as women, we are told that if we have five minutes and we dare to sit down and open a book, we are wasting time. We need to be doing everything for everybody else. And, you know, I'm sure you know that the WHO just added burnout as a mental health diagnosis. Yes. yes. So, so Indrami's Light is finally doing something that the world is recognizing <laughs> as a diagnosis.
1: That's phenomenal. So now I have to ask you, do you think this role of women, I mean, you're, you're from Trinidad, I'm from India. Do you think it's cultural or do you think it's the role of women worldwide.
2: It's worldwide. I have not been to a single country where women have not told me similar stories. I spoke in Oslo in March and Norwegian women were saying the violence here is so big and nobody talks about it. Hello.
1: <laughs> and and why did they say why nobody talks about it? Do we know Nobody
2: wants to be that woman. The person who cannot keep the marriage together, the person who is too weak, the person who is not making her husband happy, just, I mean, we can come up with any number of sentences and it would be valid because it would be ultimately my fault that my marriage was broken. My husband was was not happy. It would be my fault that my husband was beating me up. Right, right.
1: Spoken like a true victim. (laughs) (laughs) So, so how does um the foundation work and who I mean you obviously can't be everywhere all at once teaching so how how is it set up and
2: I have a wonderful operations manager and we are truly virtual because my operations manager lives in Canada my head trainer lives in LA and my personal assistant lives in Chicago and I live in Texas so <laughs> They have office hours every week. They get together on Zoom and they work, you know, with their stuff and they talk to each other. And I don't teach anymore. I travel and I do, I do speaking. I do awareness building. I'm trying to, to influence policy a little bit more. Uh-huh. I'm really hoping to get into corporations to talk to, to, talk to their management teams about how Something that is supposed to be private in the home is coming to work every day because if they have 100 employees and they have, they have 50 women, three, one out of three of those women is abused, that mental instability and fear and sadness, that's coming to work. Right. And if they have 50 men <laughs> and one in three women is abused, one in three men is an abuser, those abusers are coming to work. So what is corporate America or corporate world going to do to shine a light on what's happening at home so that their bottom line can increase? I'm not even asking them to be self-aware and be altruistic. I'm saying, do you want to make more money? Attend to the violence that's happening in people's homes.
1: Right. Well, and that doesn't even begin to talk about, actually, the abuse that happens in the workplace. So the abusers who are abusing in the home are also abusing at work.
2: Right. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Right. And women who are accepting abuse at work, you know, somewhere along the line, they learned that it was easier to accept than to speak up. And it could have been from childhood.
1: Yes. And it's also... The other aspect of it is that a, a woman may not have been abused herself, but she may have observed Witness. her mother or her father being abused um, or extended family and learned from watching them, oh, this is how I must behave so as to avoid what happened to A, B, or C. Yeah.
2: We know that witnessing violence as a child is as dangerous as experiencing that violence. Right. And those
1: memories stay with you. And I think as the memories get older and further um, back as we, as we grow older, I think people often forget, did it happen to me or did it happen to somebody else? Because yeah, it's just exactly. in, in your psyche. So can I,
2: can I give you a secret? Can sure. I tell you?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: I'm going to tell you the one thing that changed my new neurology. Okay. I started keeping gratitude journals. I every night before I go to bed, my gratitude journal is small. Um, dear listener, I'm I'm going to tell you the dimensions. It's about five by seven, right. and it's it's one journal per month. So if I lose a month, I don't lose a whole year. Right. Every night I write in bullet form three to five things that I'm grateful for. So guess what's going in tonight? (laughs) This conversation. That's wonderful. And then let me tell you what I think. I think when I'm no longer here, my children are going to open up that closet where the journals are stored and they are going to read 10, 15, 20 years worth of gratitude and their name will be in the pages and they will remember.
1: That's absolutely beautiful. I'm a huge fan of gratitude, journaling, and recognition. I think it really does help change our um, our thinking patterns. Um, and I, ha- I also would like to add at this point, the vision for Indranis Light Foundation. I, I love it. It's, it says, Our vision is that one day soon a girl will ask her mother, Mom, what is gender violence? What about the phrase domestic violence? What does it mean? And the mother will reply, Those are horrible things that used to happen, honey, but they're history now. You don't have to worry.
2: Wouldn't that be great? It would that's be my phenomenal. Uncle. It brings tears to my eyes to think that one day a mother can say that.
1: That's, that's a beautiful vision. Um, and I hope that it comes... True sooner rather than later. Um, you know,
2: it's in our power. We can do it, but everybody has to want it.
1: And so what, what can the general public do for our listeners? What can they do today, tomorrow, right away? <laughs>
2: so I'm going to tell them the first thing, and nobody's going to love me for it. <laughs> the first thing is go home tonight and apologize to your families for any behaviors or words that you have used that were not kind. Okay. Sit as a family and make rules, rules for engagement. Nobody is to yell and scream and hit. Ask the children, ask the people that you love the most to give you some, what's it called as a therapist, a buzzword or a secret word or a code word? Yes. The child knows when you're losing your temper and the code word could be apple pie. And when that kid says apple pie, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to a place where I don't want to go. Go outside, take a walk. Go into the bathroom if that's the only private space you have. Put yourself in time out, not the children. Right. Now, nobody's going to do that because I've asked that a million times. <laughs> the other thing I ask, which is easier to do, is ask yourself, look yourself in the mirror and say, Indrani, what would you love to stop doing? Make a list, keep it in a safe place, and start working slowly on it. And ask your kids for help. I mean, you don't have to say, okay, no more, but ask your kids for help. Kids, I don't want to yell anymore. Can you help me not yell?
1: Right. That's great. And in the last 30 seconds that we have, can you just give everyone the website information and how to contact you?
2: Yes. Contact me at info at indranislight.org. That is I-N-D-R-A-N-I-S-L-I-G-H-T dot org. And you'll find the TED Talk there as well.
1: Okay. And that TED Talk was, where was that? That was in Spain or no, the TED Talk was in Trinidad. In Trinidad, okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us today on Perspectives, Indrani. It has been a true pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your amazing work with... Um, gender-based abuse and violence this is dr vidisha patel your host for perspectives i look forward to being back with you next week for another edition of our show feel free to email me at drv at yahoo.com with any questions or comments have a wonderful week until next time
0: Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.